Get ready for unique, rare, and little-known treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to The Amazing World of Radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to The Amazing World of Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Our series, The Men of a Thousand Voices, continues... Brought to you by the Patreon supporters of my podcast at patreon.greatdetectives.net. This week, we're bringing you an episode of Yarns for Yanks, the World War II era series for America's fighting men that included stories read by a variety of people, as well as some stories performed by Frank Graham. Here now is The Town Crier. Yarns for Yanks. Yarns for Yanks. Your favorite stories is told by your favorite stars. The Special Service Division of the War Department sends these stories your way, the kind of stories you used to read in your favorite books and magazines back home. One of America's ace storytellers is here to spin an exciting yarn. Men, here's Frank Graham. Hiya, men. The yarn I have to spin for you on this edition is unusual, to say the least. So let's get on with it and meet the Town Trier. This is the story of Montgomery Tompkins. You've probably met Montgomery somewhere in your travels because there's one of him in every town, in every office, and in every group. Perhaps there's something of him in you. Montgomery, of course, was an extremist in his line, and that's the thing that led him into all his trouble. No matter what it was, Tompkins would try it. If someone suggested a new cold remedy, Tompkins went home and tried it whether he had a cold or not. He jiggled his teeth loose, hopping around on a pogo stick to stimulate his liver. He'd put himself in the hospital with a two-week starvation diet undertaken for spiritual rejuvenation. He'd gone through periods of masticating his food 52 times before swallowing, of thinking only in positive terms of success, of not wearing garters to improve the blood circulation. He'd tried learning to play the piano in 10 easy lessons. And he'd tried multiplying his muscles with a six-day perfect physique course. Although he abandoned all these projects as quickly as he'd adopted them, he must not be condemned as a quitter. It was the only way he could find time to try everything. It was merely a case of strict adherence to the adage, nothing ventured, nothing gained. However, in his particular case, the adage should be changed to uh, everything ventured, nothing gained. He was in a particularly trying mood as he boarded the streetcar on the way to his office and glanced through the morning paper in a cursory fashion. It was quite natural, therefore, that his eyes were attracted by an advertisement that read, Are your nerves jumpy? Do you lose sleep? Are you easily frightened? Then try Dr. Bender's amazing new nerve treatment. Day or evening consultation. Call for appointment. Tompkins immediately began examining his nerves. Yes, by George, they were jumpy. He'd try it. Upon reaching the office, Montgomery Tompkins' first act was to call Dr. Bender 
and the appointment was set for nine o'clock that evening. Dr. Bender's office was an upstairs address, and the hallway was quite long and dark. He walked the length of the hall till he came to room 243, which was the number he'd jotted down in the back of an envelope. He knocked at the door. It was opened by a tall, slender man in an ordinary business suit. He scrutinized Tompkins carefully, beckoned for him to enter. Yeah, you're late. Where have you been? Well, uh, you told me nine o'clock. Okay, okay, come in. He's waiting for you. Tompkins followed the tall man into another room where he was presented to a well-dressed, self-composed man sitting behind a large desk. He scrutinized Tompkins even more carefully than the tall man who had opened the door. Tompkins thought this was all pretty solemn and not a little sinister for a nerve consultation, but an inveterate trier was not surprised at anything. He was not even surprised that the steely-eyed gentleman behind the desk, who of course must be the doctor, was not wearing a white jacket. But then why should he be wearing a white jacket? This wasn't exactly a medical treatment, and after all, it, it was a thing new and amazing. At length, the doctor spoke. Are you ready? Tompkins nodded. It sounded as though he were being prepared for an execution rather than a nerve treatment. Good. Now, here's what I want you to do. The doctor was being very abrupt and businesslike, but then why shouldn't he be? There's no sense of beating around the bush. All right, here's the address where Roxy Laroni hangs out. Roxy Laroni? Tompkins' tonsils vibrated. Why, Roxy Laroni was a gang leader. He'd read about him in the papers. The doctor continued. All right, all I want you to do is shadow him and find out everything you can about his habits. Then, report back to me tomorrow night. Same time. You got it? Tompkins gulped and tried to form a few words. Well, I, uh... Is uh, that part of the treatment? The doctor looked at him impatiently. Why, of course it's part of the treatment. The only sensible way to do it. It's suicide to rush into these things. Tompkins never realized before what a serious job it was getting one's nerves back in their normal groove. Well, um, you know best, he managed to mutter, but not with a great deal of conviction. I uh, shadow him, hmm? That's right. And don't try anything else or it'll be curtains for you, understand? If you're not careful, your next trip will be in a hearse. If you do everything I say, you'll come out okay. You won't have to worry the rest of your life. Uh, yes, sir. With that reassurance, Tompkins turned to leave. The doctor tossed one last direction to him. Hey, um, you better get over there right away. Get him when he comes in. Um, yes, sir. It was a very dark night. Much darker than usual, thought Montgomery Tompkins, as he walked along the street toward the hangout of gang chief Roxy Laroni. But there were other more vital thoughts running through his bewildered brain. In the first place, he was shocked over the serious state his nerves were in. Evidently, he was practically walking around with one foot in the grave. It was a very lucky thing, he realized, that he had discovered the doctor's advertisement. Another day might have been too late. But as important as this treatment was to his mortal existence, he felt that the treatment itself was a little drastic. Well, of course, drastic measures were necessary in crises, but... Gee, Roxy Laroni. The mere thought of his name sent a barrage of chills down his twitching spine. The address led him to a swank apartment hotel, and from the apartment number, he deduced that Roxy's suite was the one on the second floor to the rear. A fire escape led conveniently past its windows, and with unsteady legs, Tompkins managed to climb it. He crouched low in the shadows, waiting for Roxy to return, and secretly hoping he wouldn't. Fifteen minutes passed, fifteen minutes that seemed like hours, when suddenly he was startled by the beam of a flashlight shooting up from the ground in his direction. And the next thing Montgomery Tompkins knew, he was in jail, booked as a peeping Tom. He spent the rest of a very unhappy night in the unsympathetic atmosphere of iron bars. The next day, his story about taking a nerve treatment had a definite effect on the judge. 
but not the desired one. The judge had him hustled off to the psychiatrist for a mental examination. The psychiatrist, after some debating, pronounced him sane and shuttled him back to the judge, where he was fined five dollars and sent on his way with a warning to conduct himself in a more gentlemanly fashion, or he wouldn't get off so easy the next time. It was a pretty harrowing as well as humiliating experience for Montgomery Tompkins, and it was with a heavy heart that he presented himself to room 243 that night to make his report. The doctor was furious. Arrested! Why, you dope! Uh, yes, sir, was all Tompkins could think to say. You want to wreck this whole thing? Oh, of course he didn't. He wanted more than anything else to settle his bounding nerves back to normalcy and get this whole thing over with. Well, all right, then. You go back there tonight and get the dope on Roxy, do you understand? Well, I can't go back. That cop will be on the lookout for me and said if they ever caught me again. Don't give me that. You go back there or you know what you'll get. Yeah, but, Doctor, isn't there some other treatment you could give me? I mean, really, my nerves are much better tonight. Doctor looked bewildered. Hey, what are you giving me? What's this doctor stuff? Well, uh, aren't you Dr. Bender? There was a long, uncomfortable pause. Just a minute. Just a minute. Who the devil are you? Well, uh, I'm Montgomery Tompkins, and I'm here for your amazing nerve treatment. Don't you remember that I called for an appointment? The man behind the desk leaned forward. His nostrils expanded. His steely eyes narrowed the pinpoint. Are you trying to be funny? Aren't you the guy the boss sent over to bump off Roxy LaRoney? Tompkins' knees sagged. He clutched the desk to steady himself. His swirling brain paused long enough to inform him that somehow he'd gotten in the wrong office. He had jotted down room 243 instead of 234. If he ever needed Dr. Bender's treatment, it was now. The man behind the desk was practically foaming at the mouth. I get it. So you want a Roxy's stools, huh? So Roxy found out and thinks he's got to pull a fast one. Well, he's got a nice little surprise coming up, and it's coming up tonight. Tompkins, you dirty double-crosser, you're going through with this. You're going to rub out, Roxy, and you're doing it tonight. Tompkins couldn't even clutch the desk any longer. He sank to the floor. All right, stand up, you yellow rat. You've got a job to do, and I'm going along to see that you do it. It's either you or Roxy. Take your choice. None of Tompkins' disconnected arguments nor his pleadings could convince the steely-eyed man that he was merely a jumpy nerve victim in search of an amazing treatment, not a gangland stool pigeon. With a gun pressed to his ribs, Montgomery Tompkins found himself in the back seat of a long black sedan, heading toward a swank apartment where he was supposed to shoot down a gang chief in cold blood. This was definitely something he hadn't tried before. A block from the place the car stopped. Tompkins and his armored companion alighted and strolled down the street very nonchalantly, according to instruction. Suddenly, Tompkins halted and whispered frantically, Hey, there comes the cop that arrested me. If he sees me... Take it easy. Take it easy. Look, we'll just slip inside this drugstore until he gets by. Inside the store, they stalled around. While the gangster was purchasing a package of cigarettes, one of the clerks was busy asking Tompkins if he'd like to try his luck on a punch board. Even in his state of fright and nervous tension, Tompkins was still a trier at heart. He punched a number before his companion could stop him. The clerk picked up the number. Hey, nice going, buddy. You want a set of aluminum cake pans. Boy, are you lucky. You want to try another punch? But by this time, Tompkins was being hustled out of the drugstore, not before he had time to pick up his cake pans. What's the matter with you, Tompkins? Cake pans? I got a good notion to bump you whether you get Roxy or not. The gravity of his predicament fell with full weight upon Tompkins' shoulders, and a gangster was practically carrying him as they turned into the dark alley that led to the rear of the apartment building. They halted in the shadows. The gangster handed Tompkins a gun. 
Okay, Tompkins. Here's your gat. And don't try any funny stuff because I got you covered, see? Look, I'll be right down here in the shadows where I can watch every move you make. Now get up down that fire escape. When Roxy comes in his room, you plug him. See? What happens to you after that? I don't know. And I don't care. Whatever it is, it's too good for you. Okay. Climb. Tompkins climbed. There was nothing else he could do. He reached the landing and crouched exactly where he had been the night before. His heart was pounding like an outboard motor. The gun trembled in one hand, and his set of cake tins trembled in the other. Any moment he expected the policeman to come stealing around the corner of the building. Or worse, he expected a bullet from the gangster's gun for some false move. He waited. Tense, horrible, endless minutes. Suddenly, the apartment window lit up. Tompkins saw a dark-haired, stocky little man enter the room. This, he knew, must be Roxy. His hands became rigid and cold. The cake pans dropped from his hands and banged and clattered down the fire escape. Roxy whipped a gun from his pocket, rushed to his window, and as he threw open the casement, a shot rang out from below, and Roxy crumpled to the floor. Immediately, lights were flashed on in the rear windows of the apartment, as well as an arc light that illuminated the delivery entrance. And the people who rushed to their windows saw a man with a gun dart from the shadows and crash headlong into an officer coming around the corner of the building. As the officer and man scrambled to their feet, the man raised his gun, but he never fired it. For another shot rang out, this one from the fire escape. It was Tompkins who fired this time, and it sent the gangster crumpling to the earth. Tompkins had his nerves under control again. The next day, Montgomery Tompkins sat in his office reading a sensational newspaper account of his clever and daring part in bringing about the death of a pair of prominent and much-wanted public enemies. As he turned to page 16, to which the story was continued, his eyes wandered to an ad which read, Are you lonely? Do you crave companionship? Why not try to find your ideal mate through the Hanson Matrimonial Agency? Montgomery Tompkins laid down the newspaper and opened the telephone book to the ages. That's the story, The Town Trier, spun for you by the well-known storyteller, Frank Graham. If you have a particular story you'd like to hear, write Special Service, Los Angeles, USA. And listen in for more Yarns for Yanks soon. Arms for Yanks is produced for you fighting men and women of the United Nations by the Special Service Division of the War Department of the United States of America.
Welcome back. Well, a fun little story. It really does fit this format pretty well. It features a lead character who's not too bright and relies a lot on coincidence and luck. But I think that's okay with a story of this length. It definitely wouldn't work if it were much longer. But overall, this was just a nice, cute little story that service members could listen to after a hard day. Now, the announcer had a voice that sounds familiar. Uh, given that we're doing Sam Spade on the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, you might ask, was that Howard Duff? The answer is, I don't know. Howard Duff and Elliot Lewis have very similar uh, sounding voices. Both were working in Hollywood uh, during the war for the Armed Forces Radio Services. And to make things even more confusing, they would occasionally switch assignments to have a little joke on their superiors. So it was either Howard Duff or Elliot Lewis uh, who was uh, reading the lead-in on this. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, we're going to have another episode featuring Paul Freeze. In the meantime, if you do have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.